Right. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back, creeps. This is Lisa. This is Adam. Full of energy. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. So this week, we're gonna do the first edition of the Weekly Creep Movie Club. Which we don't really know going forward how this is gonna play out or anything. But for now, we're gonna do this Sunday, which will be March the 7th at 4 o'clock Houston time, which is, I think, central, right? Yeah. Which means if you are, say, in England or Ireland, you can tune in at about 10 o'clock. And we're just going to try and live watch The Exorcist, which was voted in as the movie that everybody wanted. It came really close with Hereditary. Um, but this will be the only time that we pick one that's not on like a major streaming service. Or maybe it is back in the UK and Ireland. Um, so if you want, you can rent it from Amazon for like $3, $4. And yeah, we're just going to watch it together. Have a discussion on our Facebook group. And then afterwards, we're going to go on Instagram Live or Facebook Live, whichever one or both. And just talk shit about the movie. It's not going to be like mad long or anything, probably like 15, 20 minutes. Um, but please feel free to join in with us, whoever or wherever you are. And that is all. Please. Please. Okay. Right. On with the show. Today, I'm going to be talking about Carl Denka. And he was born in a small town in Poland. It's called Jumbita. Wow, that's such a good pronunciation, Dulce. Well done. You want me to do it again? Yeah, say it again. Jumbita. It doesn't yeah. even sound like you. That's I know. amazing. I'm so great at it. <laughs> right. So he was born there. Um, if you do a little research on it, the town, it used to be called Munsterberg, but now it's Jumbita, Poland. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So, Karl Danke was born to a family of German farmers who were very, like, respected in their community. He was born into a family with several of sev- with several other children. So, it was a very large family. Um, not much is known about Danke. Uh, even the year that he was born is up for debate. Because I've heard, I've seen some sources that say 1860, 1870, 1866. Um, probably, so around that time, then. Around that time. Okay. But as I mentioned before, not a lot of not a lot is known about Donkey. But um, what we do know is that when he was a kid, he didn't say a word until age seven, and at age twelve. He started running away from home, but the police would always bring him back home. Okay. I feel like 12 back then is like, you're a man now. Yeah. So I'm surprised that they actually brought him back. Mm-hmm. So um, when he was in school, he struggled with poor grades. He only finished primary school and didn't go much. F- he didn't go further than that. So when he left primary school, he became a gardener's apprentice. And decided, this is what I want to do. Okay. Apprentice Gardens. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, His parents died when he was 25, and Donkey's older brother inherited their childhood home. He did receive a small sum of money, and he used it to buy a farm on his own. 
so he, you know, used the land for farming or whatever, but he wasn't successful. So it turns out all that um, gardening apprenticeship didn't really amount to much. Oh. Um, But also because this was a very poor town in Poland anyway. Uh, Not a lot of resources. Right. So, I mean, he tried. He When he wasn't successful in farming his land, he decided to sell it. With that money from the sale, he bought himself a two-story house. Oh, very nice. Yeah. And I have a picture of it, if you want to see it. I do. That's it. That's a fucking large two-story. <laughs> he bought that house, and he also used the rest of the money to rent out the shop next door to it. Donkey sold leather belts, suspenders, and shoelaces to the town's 8,000 residents. He also sold jars of boneless pickled pork for people to eat. It was just like a shop of just hear some random shit. Yeah. And buy it, please. <laughs> what was it? Pickled pork for people to eat? Is that like a... Yeah, you know, like not for your pets or not for your <laughs> your farm animals. It's yeah, for it's, people. <laughs> that's just a mouthful to say right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. Boneless pickled pork for people to eat, not for pets. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Donkey was also an avid volunteer at the local church. He was a cross bearer for funerals and sermons, and he also played the organ during services as well. I didn't know what a cross bearer was. It's literally a person that carries a cross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was okay. like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just have to not think so much about things, you know? Yeah, I guess so. So these funerals that he used to be the cross bearer for put him into contact with migrants and drifters and he would use their sad situations um, to lure them into his house. People saw this and thought, man, he's such a good dude. You know, like, he's he's helping these people. and Yeah, what a al- pillar of the community. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, he was also known for taking in homeless drifters, giving them food, a place to stay for a couple of nights, and then just sending them on their way. So no one really batted an eye at this because people, they were like, okay, well, this is just a thing that he does. He just helps people. So obviously true crime documentaries weren't a thing back then and people were very trusting. Right. So they're like, all right, cool. He's, He's a nice guy. I mean, he does this all the time. They had like an all around good opinion of him. Yeah, yeah. They thought he was kind. They even started calling him, like they gave him a nickname of, you know, some children or they would call him Papa okay. or Vater. Oh. Which is, I guess, father. father. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, while most people, most people in the town usually were just minding their own business at the time because um, they were suffering from the economic depression that they were living in. Like when a lot of the shit went down in the town, it was after <laughs> World War One. Did I say it right? Almost, yeah. Oh, yeah. World War One. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> I don't think I have an accent, but I guess if you have an accent, you can't hear your own accent. But Yeah. Um, so, sorry, what, after World War One, like just the town was in shit. Basically. Yeah, the that town went into an economic depression. Um, the inflation went up it was so bad um so that's i mean when you're in your own shit you're not all up in other people's business yeah 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 
So, like I mentioned before, all the shit went down. And when I say shit, like, I don't mean just the world war. I mean his career. Yeah, well, everything began. was impacted, right? Not just his... Boy, oh, sorry, sorry. The, the whole shit reason, went down. Yes, the whole reason why we talk, we're talking about this man. Yeah, kind of this career. isn't just like a really oh he was such a nice guy no next story <laughs> um so this was also a contributing factor as to why he had to sell his house so when he sold the funny thing about this though he sold his house um and his house became a apartment complex and he ended up living in this in the apartment complex anyway Okay. Like so, basically, probably he just, part of the deal or something like. I don't know, but he went from just being having the lay of the land to just an apartment on the right. ground floor. Right. Um. So yeah. So, which worked out, I guess, because he didn't have to move his shit anywhere. Anyways, um, his uh, alleged first victim was Ida Launer in nineteen o three. I think he killed several people, several more people before her. Okay. Because just there, like at, at the end of it, there just wasn't a lot of answers. Right. And because of what we know about serial killers, there just seems to be a tendency. There seems to be a pattern of killing. Like progression. Way before. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, because when he started he he started so late in life like he was already like an older man like in his 40s okay yeah his first victim his alleged first victim was ida launer in 1903 his next known victim was emma saunder in 1909 emma saunder worked at a slaughterhouse and this murder was pinned on emma's co-worker edward troutman Troutman was arrested because he was the last known person seen with Sonder. Troutman ended up serving 12 years at Glatz Prison for this crime that he didn't commit. Wow. And he was only only released later after the police realized who had actually killed Saunders. Fucking hell. The other known victims are Heinrich Bruckman, a guy called just Nebel, Casper Hubelek and Rockus Pollock. Rockus Pollock, that's a cool name. Yeah, but again, like I mentioned, these are the only known known victims. So yeah. how many is that in total? Six. Uh, yeah, but like evidence in his home indicate that there were several more. They just couldn't really. They couldn't pin it on him. Nobody, no crime, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And I guess, like, they just, like, these are the people that the community knew of. They're like. Oh, because the rest were drifters, right? That's what I'm saying. Okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Took me a while to get there, but I'm with you now. Okay, cool. I just wasn't (laughs) sure if I was explaining myself correctly. Dulce's giving me a thumbs up, everybody. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. Right. So, anyways, on December 20th, 1924. Donkey solicited solicited the help of a homeless man named Vincez Olivier. Donkey told 35-year-old Olivier to help him write a letter in exchange for payment. 
Olivier agreed and Duncan told him, hey, dude, you know, come over to my house. We'll do this thing. Okay. And Olivia was like, cool. So. So, sorry, real quick. Were they all men? Yeah. All of them were men. Oh, the victims? Yeah. No. Okay, okay. Never it was mind. a mixture. It was equal opportunity. So, Donkey actually did have Olivier begin a letter. <laughs> and he had Olivier transcribe, I guess, like, um, Donkey was like, okay, I'm going to talk and you just write what I say. Yeah. I guess, what is that called? Dictating? Yeah, I guess. I, I would love to be in that position. <laughs> to have a writer person for me. Like, write this down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Donkey began with, Adolf, you fatty. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so this was a ruse because Olivier thought the shit was hilarious. He's like, oh my God, like you're sending somebody, like Some you're roasting mail. someone. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. basically, I hate you're trolling someone and through Adolf, mail. Adolf, I'm assuming, was still a popular name at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because this was after just World War Rum. Yeah. Rum, rum, rum. Anyway, so this was all a ruse because Olivier was like, holy shit, you know, do you really want me to write that? When he turned around... To be like, dude, you serious? Donkey hit Olivier in, in the head with a pickaxe. Oh, shit. Olivier escaped with only a deep slash on his scalp. He was found by a man named Gabriel who owned uh, one of the... He was one of the owners and one of the tenants in that building. Okay, okay. Uh, so Gabriel lived upstairs and he had heard like through the door of his flat... A man cried for help, and the voice seemed to be coming from the direction of Donkey's flat. So Gabriel went to check it out because he thought, oh shit, Donkey's in trouble. Because remember, everyone loved that man. Mm -hmm. And so when he went to head downstairs, he found the young man staggering along the hallway with blood spilling out of his scalp. Before the man passed out, he told Gabriel that Papa Donkey had attacked him. Papa Donkey. Yeah. Fucking hell, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So the police were alerted and they took Donkey in for questioning. Donkey insisted that it was Olivier that had attacked him, but they were like, okay, but you don't have a mark on you. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, they gave him the benefit of the doubt because he was like a weak looking, skinny little man. Right, right. And they were like, come on, it's Papa Donkey. But so still. He, but he just let this guy go. Yeah. That's fucking weird. Yeah. You would think, like, well, I started this, I. Or like, oh shit, he's going to alert somebody. I better go get him. Well, I'm thinking maybe he was able to be quick on his feet or maybe just like fight him off because one was younger than the other. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, and I'm guessing he was just better in better, better physical condition. So the police was like, all right, you know, we're not sure about this, but hey, you know, let's just hold you. Yeah. You know. So they did. They put him in a holding cell. And at 11.30 that night, he hung himself. But again, because there's not a lot of information, there's a lot of conflicting information. A lot of people say that it was that he got he hung himself using his suspenders. But other sources say it's that's a translation error, that it was uh, just like a big ass handkerchief that he had. How? he hung himself with like one of those clown fucking things that i think i think a handkerchief might mean something different to them yeah yeah maybe but the word is the same you and the, like suspenders would have been pretty on brand yeah anyways the point is he killed himself the next morning the police found him and they were stunned because it was like why did this guy just fucking kill himself you know yeah it was just a 
fucking misunderstanding. Yeah. Like, I mean, we only like 50% thought it was you or, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Just the other 15% that maybe it wasn't. So anyways, Donkey's flat was searched and the police found evidence of murder and cannibalism. What? The different body parts that they found in Donkey's home suggest that his murder count was upwards to 43 people or more. Just based on body parts yeah. found in his fucking house. So, like, the, the smaller number is 30. So, anywhere from 30 to 43 people around That's that insane. ballpark. So, among the physical evidence... Dun, dun, dun. Was pickled flesh of victims. Oh, like his pickled pork for people. Except now it was pickled that, people for pork. <laughs> that was a lot like the ones he was selling in his shop in under the, the guise of being pork. Oh, shit. They found two large tubs of flesh that were pickling and brine. The flesh inside still had the human bones and fat in it. Police also found bloodied clothes in Donkey's closet. That did not look like they belonged to him, as some of these clothes were women's clothing. Donkey didn't have a woman in his life. Oh. Never had one. Yeah, Jesus. Those leather wares he was selling out of his shop did not come from any cow, but it came from human flesh. Police found more leather wares hanging off hooks on the walls of the apartment that he had made. Police also found paperwork from hospitals and prisons with different people's names on them. Note this. Donkey's ledger, because just like every good businessman, you keep inventory. Of course. Contained 31 names, including Vassance Olivier. So he had already like planned. Fucking hell. So, however... Due to the enormous amount of human remains found in his flat, Donkey's true body count was suspected to be more in the 40s. So maybe the other people, he genuinely didn't know their name. Probably. Um, yeah. So, Anyways, it's estimated that his killing spree began in 1903 with Ida. Right, right. But like I said, allegedly. Yeah, it's not like you're just going to jump right in like that either. Correct. Or... It could be. We're not sure. <laughs> We're not sure. Because yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll explain why I think it could be either or. Right. Anyways, what I want to share with you guys is a list of body parts found in Donkey's home. Oh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> 16 femurs. Uh, 15 medium-sized pieces of just long bones. You know, it could be a, a, anything. Okay. Um. Four pairs of elbow bones. I don't know what that is. That's your, well, like surely it's your joint on your elbow, right? Oh yeah, probably. Seven heads of radii, so your radius. Okay. Nine lower parts of the radii, eight lower parts of the elbow, a pair of upper shin bone, a pair of low, lower elbows and radii, a pair of upper arms and a pair of arm heads. I guess like the the shoulder. Oh, okay. Right, right. A lot of this is like, how come it's not more specific? Well, I don't think they could get very specific. They, yeah, they probably didn't have 
the resources themselves. That and if it's in brine, you can't and really all chopped up. Yeah, you can't really decipher. What, you just kind of guesstimate. Like I think it comes from yeah. this part of the body. Oh, this could go here. It could be a radii. I mean, a radius. You see, if it was me, especially back then, I had all these remains. I'd be like, oh my god, it's a giant. <laughs> Uh, also a pair of collarbones, two shoulder blades, eight heels and ankle bones, 120 toes and phalanx, 65 feet and metacarpal bones, five first ribs and 150 pieces of ribs, like other pieces of ribs. For some reason, the shoulder blades and the heels are freaking me the fuck out. It's the heels for me. All right. So as I mentioned before. Donkey kept a ledger of some of the murders, but a lot of this guy is a mystery, including like his motives, uh, his methods of murder. One thing we do know for sure is that he at least used one pickaxe for one person. Yeah, Jesus. But I mean, for the most part, all he, all those kind of answers he took with him to the grave. Uh, there's only one known picture of this guy, and it was taken after he had killed himself. One more thing. Uh, he did kill men and women. So, like I said before, equal opportunity killer. <laughs> but here's one of the reasons why I think he may have, like, one of the, I guess, arguments that you could say it was probably true that he started later in life was that he used them. It, it seemed like all his victims were used for something. You know, remember the economic climate at the time is people are starving. You know, people didn't have a lot of money. So my th my theory is that he probably saw these people like vagrants and drifters and stuff like that as free raw product that he doesn't have to pay for, but he can yield 100% of profit. You know what I mean? So he was purely a product killer. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, these if you follow this line of logic, it probably also allowed him to sell these jars of fucking pickled pork at a cheap price and people were buying it because they had not much else to, yeah, they were to like, afford oh, this is great like exactly fucking. you're pa basically passing on the savings yeah. to the <laughs> residents yeah yikes mm -hmm. because you know residents did buy this and they did eat it so he was almost like a more hardcore maybe not more hardcore but like a different variant of an ed gein like the Polish variety, except he was actually eating the people. Yeah, the I think the basically I, the skin apron. Well, the motive, the motive. I guess I, here we're speculating. The motive is if if I th if what I think is true, then the motive is completely different. Whereas Ed Gein was for company, and you know he wanted oh, to yeah, explore yeah. being a woman, and you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Whereas this guy actually very complex kind of. Uh, reasoning for his killing whereas this guy was straight up this is raw product i don't have to pay for and i can make a living off of this and possibly help the community at the same time that it's so weird but yeah yeah because he didn't kill anybody of any of his residents you see what i'm saying yeah yeah he didn't kill people that he knew because he literally lived and grew up in this community he didn't kill anybody in the community he killed homeless people people that drifted in and out of the city um travelers because he was just like i don't know you guys yeah so I'm then who was that last guy then he was a homeless man oh sorry okay okay yeah or you could argue that it's because 
nobody really cared about these people is why he killed them you know like it's an easy way out you know yeah he was like oh well nobody's gonna miss them yeah so i want in one hand you can say well i like my neighbors so i'm not gonna kill them or on the other hand you could say he's killing these homeless people because it's an easy target right right you know what i'm saying hell yeah so there's my story what an interesting guy what was it carl carl donkey carl donkey right on hey creeps this is editing adam here and i just realized that it's not pronounced donkey as fun as that sounds it's actually carl denke so i did change it at the start of the story but if you think you know we're still talking shit um throughout it's because we just didn't realize but now we do and we're not changing it we're just gonna apologize right here yep bye-bye all right you ready for my story go for it so today i'm taking you back home to the emerald isle to wicklow jail okay yeah so wicklow jail is in wicklow town and if you ever go there it's like this really big fucking foreboding building in the middle of the town and it looks really fucking cool so i'm gonna get into it gonna tell you a little bit about it okay So it's said to have opened sometime around 1702 and its initial purpose was to hold Catholics who were being locked up basically for being Catholic. Okay. So this could literally mean anything but for the most part it meant if you were too poor to look after yourself like you would get in the way basically and they would fucking lock you up and you'd be thrown into these like extremely overcrowded little cells. Throughout its years of operation it was known for the brutality of the wardens and the harsh conditions of the inmates. And now, back in the good old days, it didn't matter who you were, unless you were rich or English. But if you committed a crime, you were put in jail. So that was men, women, and children. They literally, the laws didn't have a cutoff. Like, if you were 42 years old and you stole a cow, or if you were 6 years old and you stole a piece of bread because you were hungry, same fucking rules apply. They're going to lock you up. In 1798, there was a rebellion in which I admittedly do not know enough about. But from what I just read today and yesterday, it seems that Wicklow was kind of like a main problem area at the time because it's surrounded by mountains and forests and it made for the perfect, basically, guerrilla warfare location. So these gangs of fucking gorillas <laughs> gorillas or rebels would come in swoop in make their attacks and then disappear back off into the forest or like up into the mountains and the british just basically couldn't keep up with them so it actually got so bad that it forced the brits to build military road which gave easier access for their for their troops to get from dublin to wicklow this road is actually still in use today and is one of the roads that I would have taken you on for a nice drive in the mountains when you came over. All right. Yeah. But with this rebellion came a lot more inmates and apparently it was a genuine fear at the time that the walls of the place were just going to collapse if they didn't expand the building and look after it soon. Mm. So over the next 40-something years, Mm -hmm. they built the structure that is 
mostly the building that we all know today. And this would include 77 cells, six day rooms, four yards, a public kitchen, a chapel, a hospital and a laundry. Sounds like a big place. And yeah, it is for the most part. Like what is standing today is the building that was there at this stage. But they have knocked down uh, a pretty big section of it that was like just falling into ruin. Okay, okay. So it's kind of like a glow up, semi glow up. Oh, yeah. Like this compared to the old thing. Yeah. So their main method of control at the time was separation and silence. Okay. And for the first like plenty of years, this actually did work because what they would do was each individual would have their own cell. Obviously, they weren't allowed to talk to one another and they were actually shackled down in these cells. But these cells aren't like what you would imagine, like in an old Western, you know, iron bars separating. They're complete little, they'd always almost remind you of like beehives. Mm -hmm. So complete concrete rooms with just the one little door out. And these doors were heavy wooden doors that just had a little window in it for the guards to like check in on the inmates. Mm Mm-hmm. So once you were in there alone, there's no fucking way you could communicate with the next person over. Okay. And even if you did start roaring and shouting, the guards would be pretty quick to put you in your place. But this method was put to the test a good few times. And by 1845, the Great Famine was in full swing, which caused the level of crime to increase drastically. So by 1848, there were a total of 780 men, women and children, right, in this 77-cell building. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, mm, nope, Doing no words. Math there, yeah. <laughs> no words. <laughs> so obviously, like, the Great Famine nowadays is, like, the source of a lot of jokes. Right. But at the time, it really was, a, like, a, a super serious fucking situation yeah and so obviously for those of you who don't know it was it was a potato famine ireland used to depend on one particular type of potato and for a couple of seasons they didn't grow and it completely fucked up everything yeah except for the british who still had power at the time like obviously their men were well looked after but ireland's population at the time and i'm talking about the country of ireland Not the Republic. The Republic hadn't even been founded then anyway. But it fell from almost 8.4 million, which was literally the highest the population in Ireland has ever been. Right. And it said that it was um, likely closer to 9 million people. But it was 8.4 registered in the census. So it fell from 8.4 million in 1844 to 6.6 million by 1851. That's crazy. Yeah, so about a million people died due to starvation or other reasons caused by the famine. And they reckon around 2 million more eventually emigrated and just left the country behind. So the country today, I think, only has 6.4 million. Like, literally, the population never recovered from this. That's crazy. Yeah, and it actually got so low, I want to say in the 1940s, that there was actually only like 2.8 million people. So. Why in half. the 80s? Because of the. Revol- no, in the 1940s. Like, oh, in the 40s. Sorry. Yeah, basically. Or maybe it could have been the 60s. But as uh, basically the population just never took off again. Okay. 
until only recently, the last like 20, 30 years. Sorry, I got a little sidetracked there. <laughs> but people were committing people were committing petty crimes just so they could get put in jail because when you were in jail, you were guaranteed your your meals. Yeah. But by 1849, even the jail ran out of food. Oof. Yeah, so they were literally being fed. It just said meal and bread. So I think that means like ground up bits of animal. Like stuff that wouldn't necessarily be edible on its own. Uh-huh. But if you can grind it up into a nice paste, you can cook it. I was thinking like an oatmeal or something like that. That's what I thought too, but I researched it and... It's ground up animal. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I found out today. <laughs> So it doesn't sound great. Now, while in prison, the inmates were given jobs. The goal was for the jail to be completely self-sufficient. So this meant all chores would be carried out by inmates, such as cooking, sewing, making and repairing uniforms and shoes, pumping water, painting the walls, etc. But one job was done purely for profit, both for the jail and the prisoner, and it was called picking oakum. Now, prisoners were given quantities of old rope, which they had to untwist into many corkscrew strands. This is taken directly from the website, this quote. Then they had to take these individual strands and unroll them, usually by rolling them on their hands, or usually by rolling them on their knee with their hands until the mesh became loose. Now, depending on the age, sex, and punishment you were given, a basket with a certain amount of rope was given to you, and you had to get this much done during the day. What this old fiber was then used, it was uh, mixed in with tar and they would use it to waterproof the base of boats. Okay, so it was a way for the the inmates to make a a living for themselves for when they got out. It was also their way of like kind of educating them, giving them skills. But it was... A profit. Yeah, it was a profit for the prison too. It was free labor, yeah. Yeah, and they did also have like a, a fishnet repair thing. As in actual fishing nets, not like a stocking repair. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then they got paranoid that the prisoners were going to use the fish ro- fishing nets to escape. So they canned that. So, so far, it's not sounding too, too bad, right? No, it sounds awful still. Well, I know, but <laughs> <laughs> as far as prisons go back then. All right. Where are you going with this? So punishment usually consisted of being whipped or flogged. Floggings would be given out by prison staff for misconduct or could actually be a part of a prisoner's sentence and was generally given to the juvenile offenders. Now, this goes back to the prison self-sufficiency thing. These floggings were actually carried out by fellow inmates. So if somebody, you know, wasn't particularly fond of someone or was extra fond of someone, you know, these floggings could be, I guess, like as gentle as a whipping can be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or as hard as the other prisoner would like it to be. Hmm. There was also the tread wheel. Okay. All right. This was invented in 1818 by William Cubitt, who decided that prisoners needed some form of activity to help reform them. But they have actually been using this technology since like way back in Greek and Roman times. I think Cubitt's version was invented purely for prison use. Known as the Everlasting Staircase, it was basically just a wooden stairmaster that prisoners were forced to walk on for hours at a time. That sounds awful. Yeah, up to 10 hours at a time, they say. Now, in my head, 
I'm thinking these guys must have had calves like dinner plates. Right? <laughs> Just strutting their stuff around the prison yard. Like it doesn't sound too bad as far as like punishments go. But the fact that but the fact was that up to forty prisoners could be on this on this treadwheel and once you were moving it, I'm pretty sure it was almost impossible to stop it. Right. So if you lost your footing, you're likely to end up being mangled by this thing. Or if you were a child who was struggling to keep up with like fully grown fucking adults, a lot of them just got trampled on and the adults couldn't stop. You know, like I think you just had to jump off it or whatever, but apparently this happened more often than not. That's awful. Specifically with the children. Yeah. Yeah. And the treadmill, the treadwheel is still there to this day. It's on display in the yard. Mm. Another form of punishment was the shot drill. A prisoner stood in front of a heavy steel ball on the ground and when the turnkey or prison guard told them to, they would bend over without bending their legs and lift the ball to chest height where they would hold it for a few seconds before replacing it or placing it just beside him where another inmate would be waiting. That sounds terrible. Yeah, but uh, as I was reading this, I was like, okay, like what kind of a punishment is that? Well, I mean, when you're starving, I'm guessing it's pretty bad. Exactly. My next point is... This is a form of punishment which in itself doesn't sound too terrible. But when you think about doing this for hours on end, and the main rule was that if you made any sound at all, right, like you couldn't grunt or groan, do anything, or else they would actually take your daily rations away from you. And then you would be forced to repeat it again the next day, starving even more. The worst form of punishment, however, was simply called transportation. Some prisoners were sent to the most horrible corners of the British Empire where only a criminal could survive. Places like America or Australia. Ooh. Uh, Wild kangaroos and crazy (laughs) dinner plate spiders. Yeah. They were also sent to Tasmania and the Caribbean. Honestly, for today, this punishment sounds fucking great. But back then, it meant they would never see their loved ones ever again. And the odds of them even surviving the journey were slim to none. I think the name of the ship that they would take was called the Hercules. Mm-hmm. And it was rife with starvation, mutiny from both the prisoners who were on the boat and the British soldiers who might have just had enough. They suffer from like all that heat. You know what I mean? You're coming from one of the coldest places in the fucking world to all of a sudden now you're sitting out cooking in the ocean for weeks on end disease on the boat and again just weeks on this fucking boat and exhaustion yeah most people were already malnourished getting on the fucking ship and the only way to gain like some sort of protection was by providing services to the men in charge gross so generally the safest on board were the women Mm -hmm. who were willing to do stuff yeah do stuff the youngest person ever transported was only 11 years old mary wade who was arrested for stealing clothes and selling them to a pawn shop. That's so sad. Yeah. Especially, like That's the thing. Like I can never wrap my head around. Even like 30 years ago, if you emigrated, 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 like you never saw your family again. You never heard from them again. That was it. You're just taken off to this strange fucking land. So not all was bad at this hospital. Right, like as far as prisons in the 17 and 1800s go, around the 1840s and 50s, during like some big British reform of their prison systems, 
doctors started to make weekly visits to the jail and in cases of emergency. Like, I think the doctors weren't allowed to refuse an emergency thing, something like that. So they would treat prisoners quite well. They kept, like, really well-documented diaries of... I mean, I guess it was kind of experimental as well, you know, back then. Yeah. But they were being treated for, like, regular diseases, and the local prostitutes actually started to commit, like, petty crimes just as they could go in and get treatment for what the website called social diseases. That's so sad. It is, but at the same time, it was like a form of free healthcare. Yeah. So they and like a lot of the punishments might have only been a week or two weeks. Mm, okay. So in their okay. mind, it's like, okay, we'll go in here, probably hang out with a load of people that we know. Yeah. Get fed, get our penicillin or whatever. Yeah. And then we'll be back out in no time. Before this started, however, shit was awful the usual stuff like nobody wanting to bathe back then because they actually thought that having a bath would make you sick right apparently this was a belief back then um like if you washed you would get a cold the fact was it was just cold out and you were not drying yourself properly (laughs) and they were actually so cramped in the place that any diseases would just spread like wildfire of course i'm assuming that like like the ship, right? Cause yeah, exactly. Everybody same. was cramped up. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason we're practicing social distancing now. Typhoid fever, known then as jail fever, is what seemed to be the main cause of death. So if you were sharing a cell with someone who did die for any reason at all, but particularly if they were known to have died from jail fever, the prison guard would just leave the body in there. And just let it rot in the cell. This seems to have actually been like a tactic or a technique used by the staff to kill off the whole cell of people. So say if there was 11 or 12 people crammed into this cell. Uh-huh. One of them caught the disease and died. Uh-huh. They would just leave them locked in there until all of them died. Yeah. And in their mind, it was like, well, problem solved. We've localized the problem. All these people are dead. And now it's not going to spread anymore. More importantly, me, the prison guard, isn't going to contract whatever they had. Huh. Yeah, right? So I'd never heard of something like that before, but that was their method. I mean, like, that, that's, how, that's what happens when you essentially quarantine a group of people that you know are infected. Yeah, you pretty just, much. But they just weren't giving them any choice of survival. They were just yeah, riding them off, basically. Yeah. They're like, oh, Timmy died. These are all fucked. Exactly. (laughs) So there were obviously executions at the jail too. And there is still like a pretty gnarly looking gallows pole coming out of the top of the building. Like looking down on the main town. And I guess if you weren't looking for it, you might not necessarily notice it. But it's there. And one particularly sad account is from the local historian Stan O'Reilly. Who spoke of, quote, nine youths in 1820. Eight of these were hanged in pairs at two-hour intervals. They had set off walking to Dublin in search of adventure, cheap gin and cheaper women in the dance halls of Dublin. On the way, they had stolen from clotheslines when when the nights were cold. Rewards were offered and bounty hunters were soon on the trail of the outlaws. The last to be hanged declared from the gallows that the young men of Wicklow should stay away from the Dublin dance halls. Little more than dens of vice and intemperance. 
Well, I thought that was particularly sad. Like, literally just a group of kids who said, let's go to the big smoke. Mm-hmm. We'll go to all the dances. We'll have so much fun. Yeah. They made it like a few hours away, realized how cold they were and just stole blankets and whatever they could. And for that, they got killed. Whole fucking gang of them. That's very sad. Another method of body disposal, other than just leaving the bodies to rot in their cells, was in the 1700s. A half-tame hawk that was released in order to feast on the bodies of Wicklow Jail's dead inmates. When the inmates were hanged, their bodies were removed while the heads were left to be snacked on by the hawk. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the bird itself was killed and eaten by one of the inmates. <laughs> like, how fucked up is that, right? And did they just, like, replace the bird once it got eaten by an inmate? I think they thought, this is pretty fucked up. You know, like, maybe the bird was, like, a pet of one of the governors oh, or something. okay. It wasn't, like, a, we need to have... Like, one birds on, on shift staff. constantly. Like, no, I don't think All so. All the time. He wasn't on the payroll or anything. Well, I mean, he he didn't have to get paid. Like He got, he got paid in human flesh, I That's guess. what I'm saying, yeah. He got fed. <laughs> but no, there's no talk of them replacing it. He seems to be like a one-hit wonder. I see, okay. Uh, other bodies were thrown into the sea. Wicklow is right on the coast. And when the numbers of corpses floating about in the bay reached critical levels, local fishermen began to refuse to go out and fish because they were literally hitting bodies with their boats. Now, while by the 1900s, burials seemed to have become the norm for even prisoners, with unmarked graves being discovered in the, I guess, the parking lot now of the jail as recently as the 1990s. The prison was closed in 1900 and remained empty until 1918, when it was reopened specifically to hold political prisoners and supporters of Sinn Féin. So a brief description of Sinn Féin from one of our friends Carl who was was on the Hellfire Club episode is in Easter 1916 there was a rebellion in Ireland against in- English rule it lasted a week but ultimately failed as there was only a few thousand armed volunteers the british army arrested everyone and shot the main leaders in execution style the rising didn't have popular support but it did now a movement arose in support of the arrested volunteers who were eventually released. They then all joined Sinn Féin, who won the election in 1918 and by 1919 established an Irish parliament and separate courts. The War of Independence started around this time and the IRA was formed. That's the Irish Republican Army. They targeted British soldiers and some ended up in Irish jails, went on hunger strike and there was a popular movement in support This involved strike action across the country and the British military couldn't function in Ireland anymore. Ultimately, this led to the Anglo-Irish Treaty and the Irish Free State, which unfortunately led to a civil war. So there's your little bit of history on who Sinn Féin were. But there were so many, they were basically rebels. Yeah. They They needed somewhere to put them, so they put them in here. Between 1918 and by 1924, the prison was closed for good. Now for some ghosty business, because let's face it, that's why we're all here. I will say my main source for this was actually the Wicklow Jail website. Yeah. They have like a, they got a grant in 2014, which I also learned from the website. Right on. (laughs) But yeah, so they have a really good website and I actually think they have a virtual tour now with all that's going on. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. 
So, taken from the website directly, some of the frequent encounters include a man seen walking in front of the bars to the holding cell slash day room on the ground floor, a woman in a full-length black velvet coat with the hood up seen walking towards the two rooms at ground level, a smell of roses or at other times bad smells sometimes emanate from cell 5, a green mist floating around the main floor, a man seen walking from cell 19 to the end of the walkway. Some people have commented that he had that he held his hands behind his back. A man seen standing in the far corner of the ship's upper deck. So just to give you all a heads up, now that it's a museum and open for the public, they've actually built a replica of the Hercules ship that they would have used back in the day to transport people. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is really fucking cool. So that's on the second floor. And it also happens to be one of the most active areas. Mm. Which I think is particularly strange because... It's a replica. It's a replica, yeah. But I'm thinking maybe like ghosts of people who were sentenced to be fucking transported. It's it's within the jail, yeah. Yeah, it's still in the jail. so it makes sense then. Yeah, it's almost like they're there waiting to fucking go be transported or something i don't know it's nuts some people sorry some women have reported feeling extremely uneasy on the upper deck experiencing a sense of fear or apprehension and on the lower deck people often report seeing shadows out of the corner of their eye on the top floor some visitors have reported seeing or hearing children crying so like i said the prison is still open today for to- about not right now because of covid right. but they're open for tours and they offer really good, great service as a museum and a glimpse into how things would have been back in the day as it's still largely unchanged. Apart from adding toilets and electricity, obviously. Yay. They do night and day tours and honestly, I've done the night tour and it would be a great experience for young children. So I can go. You Oh yeah, you can definitely go. They have people like dressed up in clothing, like period clothing so. from the t- <laughs> <laughs> period clothing that hide among the mannequins in the oh cells. My God. Yeah, and so like it's it's kind of jumpy or can be at least. Wait, didn't they do that in Edinburgh where like they kind of just hid with the mannequins? Yeah. In the castle? I think so, yeah, yeah. just to kind of like trip you out when you're in there. Um so while that is fun like like that if I had young kids, I would definitely bring them to it. Because it's spooky enough that you're in the jail at night, but all the lights are on and shit, you know? Love that. Um, But I was also lucky enough to participate in a paranormal investigation slash ghost hunting type event. Was that that lock-in? Yeah, by Paranormal Research Ireland. Mm. Which, look, if I was a real fucking ghost hunter, not this sham of a man that I am... (laughs) (laughs) If I I was a real boy. Yeah, I would probably, (laughs) you know, be shaking my head at people doing these kind of events. But honestly, it was a great experience. They had all the bits and bobs, all the different instruments that like you see on ghost adventures and shit like that. Yeah. You get in there. I can't remember how many of us there were. A decent amount, like 40 or 50 people. Mm -hmm. They split you into smaller groups and you go off for about an hour to different sections of the prison. And they separate you enough that there's no like sound pollution from other groups and stuff like that and yeah so we got to do lots of different things 
one of the things you could do was sit in the individual cells on your own in the dark, which when I say it out loud, that makes me really sound like a fucking lunatic. But I'm sure if you're listening to us, uh, you know, you probably agree that that does sound like a fun time. So I had like, you know, my little EVP recorder or whatever. And I went in. I can't remember. I like we picked up like a couple of fucking weird things or whatever. But the thing that really stood out to me, other than the fact that we got to use the SLS camera, which was fun. One of the rooms that I went into, it was a room that they had used as a classroom because they did try to educate the men and women just to teach them how to read and do their basic maths. And while we were in that room, the guy had a pendulum, which I had never seen before. And so I got to use it. And we were just doing like basic fucking call out stuff, you know, like, is there anyone here? And we're all kind of giggling or whatever. But then it did start to respond. And, you know, I'm just holding it there over the desk. And it would, I can't remember, it would say like, for yes, swing this way, for no, circle this way. And we would ask questions. And if the thing was unsure, it would just stop dead straight as if somebody had just grabbed it in my hand. Hmm. And we supposedly made contact with the little boy and there was nothing negative about it or anything. He was asking us questions. I think he said he was lonely, stuff like that. Mm. And I asked, was he scared? Or someone did anyway, I think it was me. And when I said that, or was he scared of the other people? And it just stopped on a dime. So we pretty soon like changed the subject back to happier things and it would respond again, you know? And really cool fucking session. Yeah. And then we we would stop. Everybody would regroup down in like the little museum area. And we would have like tea and sandwiches and stuff. And it was lovely. And then we went up to the ship. And they had an actual medium there. And I will say that was the creepiest place. Like I've never seen darkness like that before. Yeah. Like it was so dark there where like, you know, legally they have to have exit signs and stuff on. Uh-huh. But as we were all up there you started to lose where the exit sign was because that was the only light. Mm -hmm. And it got so dark that even that started to dim out. Mm -hmm. Like it was one of the trippiest experiences of my life. We're all standing around the table using the glass, you know, slide this way for yes, slide this way for no kind of thing. And it literally felt as if there was maybe eight or ten of us standing in a circle. And in between each of us, it felt like there was another person just looking in over your head. Or like you would feel something on your shoulder. Now it was like a really personal experience for everyone because the medium there wasn't, you know, pulling in John Q from fucking cell number three or anything. They were picking up on our own personal family and stuff. So that was really cool. And then we went down to the basement section and I remember standing in the dark out on my own while everybody was in a cell, like calling out to the, you know, spirits or whatever. And I was shitting a brick because I literally couldn't see my own hand in front of my face. Thankfully, nothing happened other than I had my scarf hanging off my pants. And it just felt as if somebody was touching me on the leg. That's gross. Yeah, but it was like, again, I wasn't freaking out. So I assumed it was nothing. And the height of it would have been like a small child coming up to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just putting their hand on your leg being like, what the fuck is this? Like hanging off your pants. Yeah. Um. So all in all, it was a really pleasant experience. Just spooky enough that, you know, we weren't shitting ourselves or anything. Mm. Except for the fact that when we walked into one cell, they forgot to turn off 
the automated uh, speaker. Because mm-hmm. when you go into different cells, they have different like characters in the mannequins. Yeah. So when you open it up, it starts being really loud. And it's like, I've been here for 35 years. <laughs> and uh-huh. Scared the shit out of us. Oh, the whole jail was now. pitch black. I think it was me and Carl who helped me explain Jim Faint. Yeah. <laughs> and we walked in scared the absolute shit out of us. I bet. Anyway. All I'm saying is, if you do visit Ireland, or even better, if you live in Wicklow or Dublin or anywhere close, I would definitely pay it a visit. If you can get to do one of those paranormal evenings, absolutely do. It's such a nice way to spend the night. And yeah, that's the Wicklow Jail. Right on. Sounds good. Yeah. Also, any of our Irish listeners, if you have had experiences there, let us know. I've reached out to the staff, but because it's COVID, nobody's actually working. Ah. Right, yeah. lockdown. Exactly. So it could be a while before it comes back. Yeah. Anything comes back. But yeah, there you go, gang. A nice brief episode, I think, today. Yeah. Probably a nice uh, break from our... Long, long ones. Yeah. Also, I am going to try and keep it Irish-themed. So if you guys have any suggestions or requests, let us know. For the month of March. For the month of March. Little, little, potato. Ha ha. I never heard a leprechaun pronounced the way you pronounced it earlier. What the <laughs> hell did you call it? A leprechaun. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was what we used to say. We'd be making fun of American tourists and be like, oh, wow. You guys have leprechauns over there? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we do, yeah. It's us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My dad's actually a leprechaun. Yeah, we claim the disability from it. It's great. He has really short arms. They're like T-Rex arms. Yeah. Tell you what, though, he's a great singing voice. <laughs> anyway. We, we all may be leprechauns, but we have 12-inch penises. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. I'm not a huge uh, St. Patrick's Day person. I don't think any... Irish people are. No, they're not. Until they go abroad, maybe. Yeah. But for the month that's well, in I it, mean, we have I'd our special so too, yeah. weekly creep fucking St. Patrick's Day logo. Thanks to the wonderful Lindsay. Check our stuff out at Art of Aquarius 27. Word. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Don't yep. forget about the movie club. If you have any questions, message us. I have nothing else to do but answer your questions. Yeah, please watch it with us because I really don't feel like watching that movie by myself. I mean, Adam's <laughs> going to be there, but it's that's not what I mean. Yeah, we want uh, we want somebody to talk to. We don't like each other that much. You know? No. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, creeps. That's it for this week. We'll All be right. back next yeah. Friday. Yeah. And that's it. And that's it. Bye. Okay, bye. For the month of March. For the month of March. Little, 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 potato. Ha, ha.